The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning to this Friday edition of Squawk Box. Uh, if you're thinking about having a quiet end to the week, forget it. We've got so much news for you. We've got so many CEOs and CFOs for you. Uh, you are going to have a very busy three hours with Mandy Drury and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. So U.S. equities rally once again, despite the U.S. economy shrinking for a second straight quarter, tipping it into a technical recession. A lot of people are using the word technical at the moment. But the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen doesn't want to use the R word. Most economists and most Americans have a similar definition of recession. Substantial job losses and mass layoffs. That is not what we're seeing right now. Apple, meanwhile, topping expectations with record third quarter revenues, fending off inflationary pressures as iPhone demand holds steady. On iPhone, there was no obvious evidence of macroeconomic impact during the June quarter, uh, besides FX, obviously. Uh, Mac and iPad were so gated by supply that we didn't have enough product to test the demand. Amazon gained an extended trade after posting a revenue beat, benefiting from strong performance at its Amazon Web Services cloud business and its advertising arm. And Standard Chartered sees a boost from rising interest rates, reporting a 19% rise in its first half profit and announcing a $500 million share buyback program. The CFO, Andy Halford, will be joining us in just a moment's time. Right, Standard Chartered, as uh, Mandy just announced, <laughs> has announced a 19% rise in first half profit as the lender was boosted by rising rates and also announced a $500 million share buyback program. Lots to talk about with Andy Halford, the CFO of Standard Chartered. Andy, very good morning to you. Well, look, I mean, we're debating uh, with the great lady herself, Janet Yellen, whether we're in a recession or not. And I love the way everyone's using the word technical now because they don't want to say we're in a recession, but we can have that conversation a little bit later on. How are things for you guys over at Standard Chartered? They look pretty solid. Hi, Steve. Yeah, I, I think they are. We, we've had a really nice start to the year, two consecutive quarters now of double-digit growth. And uh, we've updated update our guidance for the full year to be around 10% for the full year as well. Some of that is about rates. Um, a lot of that actually is just about underlying client demand, um, particularly in the Asian markets in which we operate. Um, so that together with another half billion buyback uh, brings our total buybacks this year to one and a quarter billion dollars. Uh, we're very pleased with the start of this year. Very pleased. Yeah, and look, I mean, everyone is, I remember a phrase from Jim O'Neill a few years ago. I mean, I'm going back, you know, at least a decade where he said everyone's looking under every stone to see problems in the Chinese economy but when they turn those stones over they're not necessarily finding anything now we know there are a lot of structural issues in the Chinese economy some we're worried about others not but you've just turned in your best ever half year income performance I think it is in China as well tell me a bit about China specifically how are you doing that and what are your concerns 
Yes, so we just announced, as you say, our best ever performance in China. Um, income there is up about 6%, which uh, um, in, the, in the context of what's been going on probably would be a surprise to people. Um, I, I think the biggest factor in it is that we're specialising in one part of banking, particularly cross-border. And actually, in terms of the Chinese economy, whilst the local domestic economy has been a bit flat, actually the exports have been strong. And that has played absolutely to our strength. That's what we do. That's what we enable our clients to do. And off the back of that, that's why we've printed you know, a really strong set of numbers. Um, we do feel very, very positive about the outlook there over the next several quarters, indeed, probably several years as well. So um, contrary to some of the gloom and doom you hear, actually, China for us has been a real bright spot. Which means that you can look dispassionately at the property market or semi-dispassionately and just say, this is what I see going on. This is how I see it panning out. Can you just tell us what you think about this property market? Because literally still on a weekly basis, Andy, I'm seeing some quite worrying headlines. Yes, the steps that were taken a while ago to sort of dampen um, some elements of the property market um, have clearly bitten quite hard. And um, all the stats show there's been a, a huge slowdown in the sector. We've been quite thoughtful about where we have got our exposures. Generally, we've gone with the higher quality developers. We have taken some reserves um, for some exposures there. But in the overall scheme of things, um, for our group as a whole, they're, they're, they're not significant. Um, there's clearly, even in the most recent days, been announcements of new funds being made available at much lower cost to help that sector get up on the ground. Our sense is there will be a big push by the government to do that. It's a very important part of the economy. And as they seek to get the overall economy moving and particularly going into next year, having the real estate sector you know, back and operating normally, I think is the key part to that. So we sense there will be government support for that. It's happening. And over a period of quarters, that should start to, uh, to come through. And then we'll be back to a very, very, very big economy growing nicely through next year again after a difficult period during this year and last year. You're in the Janet Yellen camp. You don't, I mean, bear in mind she's talking about the US economy, of course, but we, we can um, segue to the Western markets. Do you see significant recessionary forces? I, I see them in Europe, to be honest, because we've also got this energy conundrum going on as well, which is way worse than any other part of the world for all kinds of yeah. reasons as well. Do you see that A, dragging down Europe and B, dragging down the world? Yeah, I, I think the way you're looking at it, I, I would really relate to. So Western markets clearly much more fixated on it. Um, energy prices, part of that equation. Um, the vast majority of our activity clearly is not in Western markets. The vast majority of our activity is in Eastern markets. And in many respects, in those countries, the discussion is more as the effects of COVID wear off and the economies get going again just sort of how quickly will we see that growth return. Now, I don't think necessarily the West can be immune from what happens in the East, but I do think some of the pressure points, like the source of some of the energy price problems we've got at the moment, are a little bit more unique to other parts of the world. So I think looking at our business, we do look at it with a different light, maybe to those who would be more focused upon the Western world only. That is not the majority of our business. Um, for a bank, you've got a quite a lowly divvy yield, if you don't mind me saying, 1.6, whereas kind of the, the banks historically have been more like cash cows, better, larger dividend players. You know this better than I do, Andy, as well. So why aren't you upping the dividend more significantly rather than buybacks? I mean, you, with all due respect, and I say this actually in, in a very positive way, your shares don't exactly need a buyback when they're up 26% already this year. 
Um, well, it's it's nice they're up 26%, but the fact of the matter is that we're still trading. Our share price is still about 40% less than our book value. So actually, every dollar we do spend on buying back shares, if we believe we can get back to book over the next couple of years with our double-digit return um, aspiration, we are essentially sort of buying back value. So at the moment, we are very weighted towards doing buybacks. Um, we've just announced the interim dividend, 120 um, billion, million, million, not billion, um, and um, also the buyback of 500 on top of the 750 we did earlier this year. So we are weighted more towards buybacks, but I think whilst we're trading at such a discount to our book value, we will continue to do that. Then over a period of time, obviously, we can look at rebalancing and the yields would go up. Why are you trade? Why why do banks in Europe and well, I mean, again, yours is a, an Asia-focused, London-listed bank, as we keep saying as well. Why are you trading at such a large discount? Why do European and, and banks such as yours continue to trade? I, mean, I think you're 0.44 on a forward 12-month basis. Trade at such a large discount, especially compared with our US peers. Um, it's a good question and, and, and a difficult one. I, I guess over the last few years, particularly in mainland Europe, negative rates has not been uh, conducive to um, any high degree of profitability in the sector. Um, I think people do worry that when there are recessions, when there's something like COVID, is it the banks that are going to take the hits? And actually, I think with COVID, it proved not to uh, not to be the case. Um, there are occasional regulatory fines or things like that that are unpredictable. So I guess for people who want a degree of predictability, there are enough things there to think about and be cautious about. Um, you know, on the other hand, with the GDP growth we've got in the areas of the world we operate in being superior to those of other parts of the world, and with the general direction of travel we've had on our results um, recently, where the momentum has been really good, really strong, and if we can get to our double-digit growth on our income this year, that will actually be the first time in over a decade that we have done that. So I do think there are many positives here. And hopefully, we'll have to let the numbers do the talking, but hopefully that will start to get appreciated over time and the share price um, it will react, we hope, accordingly. Andy, I once had a great conversation with a, a very big CEO who said, I'm fed up with know-nothing consultants coming in telling me how to break up my business as well. With that conversation in mind as well, um, you've still got the right structure, Asia-focused, London-listed. I know that those questions are being asked of your peers as well as yourself. Yes, I, I think we have got the right structure. And I know that question is around. It's been around a very long time. Um, you know, every alternate one looks at, there are some pros and there are some cons to the alternates as well. Um, but the, the richness we've got of the natural underlying growth in the Asian markets is good. London is still a very good, well-regulated, predictable part of the world with very deep um, pools of money. So um, for us, it is actually a formula that is working. And uh, as I say, with a couple of years to go to get back to a double-digit return now, you know, we feel that we are on a good path and we're well set. All right. Great to see you, Andy. Thank you very much indeed for your time and for talking us through all those questions. Uh, Andy Halford, the CFO of Standard Chartered as well. Um, Andy's lucky he got me fairly fresh because after this, I'm going to be exhausted today. Have you seen the number of CEOs we've got? I was actually just counting how many there were and I was thinking you're either going to have to get a bigger wall. We're going to need a bigger <laughs> wall. Isn't that a phrase from, a, from a, a very famous film? Is it? What's the movie? What's the movie? I don't know. Jaws. We're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, OK. OK. Well, you know, this is, this is a do 
dodecahedra box. Dodecahedra? We, we, we had the You octopus. started off with cornucopia of onomatopoeia and you're, fi you're finishing the week with dodecahedra. Is that going, is that going we uphill or downhill? We just don't use words that long in scoreboard, sure. In the vocabulary sure. department. Um, so there used to be a, an octobox and then we moved to a nonobox. This well, is a dodecahedra box. Show it's 12. It. Look at that. 12 it, of really? them. That didn't, even, that didn't include Andy. Yeah, good. Okay, so let's go through it then. The dodecahedral, whatever she just said. A um, <laughs> lot of C-suite execs today. Among them, CEOs of Kaiser Bank, Swiss Re, L'Oreal, Renault, and CFOs from BNP Paribas, NatWest, Banco Sabadell. A busy old day. Well, you know, it's because you're about to go on holiday, Steve. So, you know, they're not going to let you... punish me first. They're not going to let you go off lightly. Okay, yeah. let's move on. BNP Paribas reporting an 8.5% increase in revenue in the second quarter, boosted by a strong performance of its corporate and institutional banking units. The French lender maintained a CET1 ratio of 12.2%, highlighting strong operational performance. The CFO, Lars Machinil, told Rosanna that the bank is well positioned to continue serving their clients despite the current macroeconomic challenges. We are basically an all-weather bank. So we are basically ready to continue to serve our clients if the economy grows fast, if it grows a bit slower, or even if it will fall into a technical recession. That's basically what we do. That's why we feel very comfortable, comfortable that our cost of risk will remain below the 40 basis points that we have guided. So that's a bit what we see. Again, I don't have a crystal ball to tell you exactly what it's going to be, but BNP Paribas is in very good shape to help its clients under all-weather conditions. Right, the US economy is not in recession, but it is in recession, but it's not in recession. See what I mean? That's, that's kind of the, the strength of the debate at the moment. But let's just go through the facts, shall we? The US economy contracted for the second straight quarter from April to June, hitting a widely accepted rule of thumb for a recession, i.e. two quarters of consecutive contraction. GDP fell uh, way worse than actually even the skeptics I saw who thought it would fall, but it fell 0.9%, an annualised pace according to the advance estimate. That follows a 1.6% decline in the first quarter and was worse than the Dow estimate for a gain of 0.3%. Officially, the US National <laughs> Bureau of Economic Research declares recessions and it won't make a judgment for several months. But to all intents and purposes, the US is technically in a recession. Let's just not be editorial about it. Let's just say the fact it is in recession. And everyone loves now, including the, the previous incumbent of the Federal Reserve chair, yeah. believes it's now just a technical recession rather than a recession. I mean, look, for so many people, it already, it smells like a recession. It feels like a recession. Now we've got the numbers that actually prove you are in a recession. Just call it what it is. Indeed, the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. economy is just in a state of transition. Feels like putting a bit of a, a lipstick on a pig situation anyway, arguing that we are not seeing the broad-based weakness associated with a typical recession. Right now, even in the face of global headwinds, including a war in Europe and successive variants of the pandemic, our economy remains resilient. Most economists and most Americans have a similar definition of recession. Substantial job losses and mass layoffs, businesses shutting down, private sector activities slowing considerably, family budgets under immense strain, in some, a broad-based weakening of our economy. 
That is not what we're seeing right now when you look at the economy. Job creation is continuing. Household finances remain strong. Consumers are spending and businesses are growing. I mean, Steve, let me take you on a trip down memory lane up to the top of the show when you said in one of your headlines that the U.S. markets rallied despite the U.S. economy shrinking for a second straight quarter. But actually, it's not despite, it's because this is a classic case of bad news on the economy is good news for the markets because the rate hikes start to be priced back, right? But I would also argue that even, okay, even if the Fed perhaps isn't as aggressive in its future tightening, what about QT? We always forget about QT. Come September, they're going to be doing, what, $95 billion worth of QT every single month from half of that right now. So you've got the double tightening going on. It's just that, you know, the uh, the rate hikes are the ones, the superstars in the room that always get the headlines. So you you make absolutely excellent points, as ever. Um, Did I mention how much I've enjoyed working for you? this week. Vice versa, Steve. Oh, bless you. I know we're doing it a bit yeah, early, but it's, I, 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 I love your off. energy as well. Look, there's a couple of things here. Uh, and, and I am not the person to argue with Madam Secretary. She is a, a, sure. a, a brilliant economist and, and a terrific leader in many, many ways, both at the Fed and at the, at the Treasury. But I disagree heartily with some of her categorization of what's going on. If she doesn't believe that families in America mm. are seeing their budgets constrained yep. uh, and are seeing enormous pressure on their household account, then then I don't understand how that can be, Madam Secretary, because the, the households in America mm. are under enormous pressure, whether it be the rental costs, whether it be their mortgage costs, whether it be their fuel costs, whether it be their food costs. Just go and ask Doug McMillan over at Walmart uh, what families are seeing and what families are doing to negate these concerns as well. And again, Madam Secretary, you would know that inflation-adjusted household spending uh, slowed to 1% uh, from a previous figure of 1.8% in the first quarter. That is a dramatic lessening as well. She would also know that residential investment Mm -hmm. fell 14% in the second quarter uh, after edging up 0.4% in the first quarter. She would also know that business-fixed investment weakened last quarter, slipping 0.1% after a 10% surge in the first quarter as well. So whether it's business-fixed investment, residential investment, or inflation-adjusted household spending Mm. as well. We are seeing very swift declines as well. And if those rates of changes were to continue in the third quarter, and again, the second half of the year could be very different, and I take that point on board. Mm -hmm. But the facts as they are from her own data yesterday, from the statistics coming out of the United States, were that all three of those measures are flashing red at the moment. Now, going to your second point about what the markets are doing, Mm. so let's just get this right. We have... 40-year levels of inflation highs in the United Mm. States. We have a recession indicator on many, many measures as well. Plus, we've had one of the biggest rate hikes we've seen. I take it on the back of the one we had last month as well, but one of the biggest rate hikes we've seen since 1994 as well. Rate hikes, inflation plus recession equals market rally. And I find that extraordinary. To the market, I think the market would have rallied whether we were up 0.9% or down 0.9% yesterday. It's just the mood music in the market. They are looking for the bottom. They are looking in every single one of these results, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Google, uh, whether it's Apple and Amazon, and the great Arjun will come up later on and talk mm. about those of us as well, and finding the good. On another day, they would find the bad. I think you've actually raised an excellent point there. I think we've certainly got to a, a point in the markets where um, any, any whiff 
of, of good news is going to, uh, to move the markets to the upside. And that's, of course, what happens when you have everyone on one side of the boat with extreme bearishness, right? And that's always a contrarian indicator that anything that you know, people can latch onto, and people are really latching onto, the Fed is going to save us because we have been conditioned like Pavlov's dogs that when things go bad, the Fed is going to have our back. I would say, though, when people say, oh, we can't be in a recession because, look, the housing market is strong. The housing market is cracking. It is cracking under yeah. a lack of affordability and mortgage yeah. rates which have more than doubled, right, um, since, uh, since rate rises have started. If the housing market and is as good as it looks... Oh, go on. Sorry, carry on. Oh, and the, la the last one is, I was going to say, and they also say, but look, the labour market is strong. There was a wonderful little line in this uh, GDP report, and I'm going to read it out. Pace of firings now at the highest level in eight months. Wow. Look, I know there's a lot of excess jobs out there, but we all know as well, and I, and I believe there are excess jobs out there when you look at the JOLTS data. But the fact of the matter is, we know that the number of jobs advertised doesn't always equal the number of jobs available as well. There is a bit of smoke and mirrors on that as well. I have one more statistic, and I can't even blooming find it. Okay, I'll find it's it now. It's on the housing market, I think. No, I know what the number is anyway. I've got it in my head. Here You've we go. have always got it in your Lumber head. Lumber is yes. down. Month to date. Now, Lumber's a notoriously bad marker, by the way, and I take that on board because it's a tightly held contract that has extreme volatility. If the housing market is so blooming strong, mm. how come one of the core raw materials of that is down 20%? Was it down 20% year to day in mm -hmm. the quarter? No, it's down 20% this month. Year to date, and I'll leave it there because I've got to move on to Renault. Year to date, Lumber is down 53% plus. So it's no longer Dr. Copper, it's Dr. Lumber. Well, Dr. Lumber that we're going to be Copper's watching. Copper's another story. Yeah. Uh, right, okay, so Renault. Renault shares, believe it or not, trade at a high single digit. That is low, but it is actually one of the best in the sector in Europe as well. All kinds of issues at European car makers, we know this as well. But the group took a 1.36 billion euro net loss in the first half from the cost of closing its Russian business in the wake of the Ukraine war. But it has though, and this is interesting, it has upgraded its full year outlook because of improving profitability elsewhere. Now away from Russia, it said it's focused on selling fewer but more profitable cars. I think that's very interesting. It says it's paying off. Operating margins in the first half were 4.7% against 2.1% the same period last year. But hang on a second, that is great. That is a massive increase. But just listen to what I just said. Okay, let's break down these numbers. Numbers can be boring, but look at it. Their operating margin mm. last year was 2.1%. 4.7% that, now. That's a horrendous amount of capital that needs to go into making a car to turn around 2.1%. So 4.7%, but they've upgraded the full year uh, margins to more than 5%. So very interesting. We've got Luca De Mayo on, haven't we, later on? Not on this show? On the next one? On street signs, I think. Do do we, said the director. Do we? Will, you made the board. You looked at it. Yeah. But there were too many boxes. You can't remember all what? of those boxes. Twelve boxes. Can't remember his dodecahedrons. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have. He's on street signs. <laughs> and what's coming up on the show? I have no idea. Amazon. We're going to be talking about Amazon. And here's another really interesting uh, movement in After Hours. Amazon shares 13% to the upside. Why? What gives? This is despite to post, posting a net loss. Well, thank God we've got Arjun. Thank God for Arjun. Thank God for Arjun on deck. It's going to explain <laughs> it to all of us dummies. Why is Amazon higher by 13% in after hours trade despite a net loss? Now, have you finished yesterday's podcast? <laughs> I've, barely, I've barely even got on to Monday's.
last what? Mondays. I have a whole week of backlog. Yeah, this one's a winner. But I'm going to wake up early tomorrow morning and listen to them all. I was going to say, because we had a great interview with the Standard Chartered CFO, Andy Halford. You can check out the Scorebots podcast. i tell you what, see if you can do it before Mandy does. <laughs>Right, Amazon shares surged over 13% in extended trade after the e-commerce giant comfortably topped second quarter revenue forecasts and issued an upbeat outlook. The tech giant posted an overall loss of $2 billion for the period after recording a loss of $3.9 billion on its investment in Rivian. Amazon was boosted by strong sales in its cloud unit AWS. Uh, generating operating income of $5.7 billion. Uh, shares in Intel fell over 8% in extended trade after the chipmaker missed on the top and bottom line for the second quarter. The company also issued quarterly and fully a guidance that fell short of analyst estimates. Pat Gelsinger said a combination, that's the CEO by the way, of weaker economic activity, supply chain issues and poor strategy execution contributed to the weak set of numbers. Our colleagues will speak to the aforementioned Pat Gelsinger, 1700 CET, first on CNBC. Okay, Apple shares rising after the bell on third quarter results that topped expectations. Let's bring in Arjun, our tech man who's on the, uh, who's on the beat for Apple and all things, uh, all things similar. Arjun, um, great to see you, buddy, by the way. You know, last time we were together, we were in, uh, we were in China, I do believe. Yep. Um, Arj, explain this to me. Look, Apple, yeah, it beats, but normally it beats a whole lot bigger, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's been a really interesting earnings season for big tech, Mandy, because I think it's been characterised by low expectation and some bearishness towards some of these names going in uh, to the numbers. And what we have seen is that the results have just been good enough and that's fine for the market and you saw that with the likes of Microsoft and Alphabet and you're now seeing that without Apple. It's a bit better for Apple but it was certainly a mixed bag as well. Now top and bottom line was a beat uh, but revenue did decelerate uh, significantly and the market was okay with that. So let's just dig in a bit more and I want to start off with iPhone of course the crown jewel always of Apple earnings as well. Well 40.67 billion dollars in revenue. It beat expectation and that's because iPhone 13 the flagship product continues to remain strong. There continues to be strong demand for their smartphone and it really is the Trojan horse for Apple into the lives of consumers to upsell them their services and we'll get on uh, to that in a moment. But it happened despite a tough smartphone market as well. But the premium segment of the market where Apple per plays continues to hold up well. However, some of the other products did struggle. iPads, Mac as well. Apple blaming that on some of the supply constraints as well as a stronger dollar. Now, CEO Tim Cook addressed some of these concerns. Let's just listen in to what he had to say. If you look at the June quarter, we do believe uh, that we saw macroeconomic headwinds that impacted our business and our results. And so what, one of those is clearly the FX, which uh, Lucas mentioned, that was over 300 base, basis points on year-over-year -year growth rates. When you look at the product categories, um, 
On iPhone, there was no obvious evidence of macroeconomic impact during the June quarter, uh, besides FX, obviously. Uh, Mac and iPad were so gated by supply that we didn't have enough product to test the Now, demand. let me move on to, to services here because this is key. $19.6 billion in revenue, but a miss. Uh, it was a 12% rise, but slightly slower than what we've seen in previous quarters. And now I think that is a concern because this is an extremely high margin business uh, for Apple. It's key to the profitability, but it is also key to the story around Apple's future as well as any re-rating of the stock. And I think uh, this slowdown we've seen in the growth for services will certainly be a concern to some investors as well and be closely watched if it lasts for a long time this will be an even bigger concern and just finally here on China a huge market for the company it was down 1% but certainly that was way better than the market had expected given what we've seen there the COVID resurgence the lockdowns as well and the fact that demand has been uh, badly hit in China Apple did continue to hold up well so clearly a mixed bad iPhone strong China good but services a bit of a concern Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.